Thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone had a great weekend. And today it's Monday, the most important day of the week, June 5th. Today is National Moonshine Day. Shout out to all those moonshiners out there. It's also National Veggie Burger Day. Oh, yeah, because everyone loves a good veggie burger. National Start Over Day, because that's what the world may just have to do pretty soon, as well as World Environment Day. It's also International Day for the fight against illegal, unreported, and unregulated. I know what you guys think I'm going to say next, but you're wrong. Fishing and Nash. Fishing, not what you thought I was going to say. And it's also, of course, Gretchen, it's your favorite. It's National Gingerbread Day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not to mention, we do have a very special birthday today. It is Matthew, the Count St. Germain's birthday today. 5,100. Oh, yeah. Thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a comment on the story most recently presented. But kicking it off today, that's right, we have the dope dad himself. That's right, the Quasimodi. Quasimodo caretaker, the baby Yoda daycare daddy, and the father, a little baby Zozo. That's right. It's the dope dad himself, Rico Lamit. Oh, yeah, Jason. Thank you very much. And uh, do I have a special story for you today, Jason? This one is. Uh... <laughs> so starting off with a question, is Hunter Biden the unlikely white knight of American pro-cannabis consumption and gun ownership activists. Is he the white knight that they have been waiting for? Like it or not, it just might be the case. Because attorneys for President Joe Biden's uh, most active adult child reportedly told Justice Department officials a recent federal court ruling on gun rights for cannabis consumers should invalidate any charges related to allegations he lied about personal drug use on a 2018 federal firearms purchasing form. In his 2021 memoir titled Beautiful Things, 
The younger Biden openly discussed a handgun purchase occurring at the time. He also happened to be a connoisseur of uh, crack cocaine. <laughs> Currently under the fire uh, from multiple right wing angles, Hunter's legal team is challenged uh, is challenging the idea of any effective prosecution, accusing him of being an unlawful user of drugs when he filled out the ATF form in question. While lying on the document is a felony offense, the constitutionality of the underlying drug question itself has recently come under scrutiny in several federal courts when tied to cannabis. The New York Times reported Hunter is, uh, his counsel is specifically citing a February ruling in the U.S. District Court of the Western District of Oklahoma that deemed the ban of uh, preventing cannabis consumers from buying and possessing firearms to be unconstitutional. Now, I'm pretty sure there's a clear difference between cannabis and crack cocaine, but I will continue. Per the article, if charges are brought against him and this and his defense team challenges the constitutionality of the drug ban, which Politico reported his lawyers informed DOJ officials they will be doing, it would set the stage for a novel legal showdown on a national stage with the administration forced to defend its policy against the president's son. The whole ordeal is definitely adding strain on Daddy Biden's DOJ, which has staunchly defended the prohibition in several lawsuits and appeals, maintaining its stance that people who use cannabis or any controlled substance are inherently dangerous and unsuited to own guns. Now, there are layers to this shit. The first being Joe Biden's obviously tepid approach to cannabis since taking office after building a career as one of the uh, one of Congress's most vocal crusaders in support of the war on drugs. The second, cannabis's seg- uh, schedule one status remains above and in the eyes of federal government more dangerous than Hunter's vice of choice, crack cocaine. And the third. I don't know. Um, maybe the fact that Hunter Biden may inadvertently become the reason the DOJ finally throws in the towel in a fight they've clearly been losing in both federal and courts of the American public opinion. Despite loss after loss, the ATF has continued to argue the uh, cannabis user firearms ban is indeed an unambiguous and enforceable, including in legalized states. Though the older Biden has yet to mention the ATF policy directly, he has commented on Hunter's alleged dishonesty when completing the form. In an interview with uh, CNN last year, the 46th president said this, this thing about a gun, I don't know anything about it, but turns out that when he made the application to purchase a gun, what happened was he, I guess you get asked, I don't guess, you get asked a question, are you on drugs or do you use drugs? He said no. And he wrote about it saying no in his book. So I have a great confidence in my son. I love him. <laughs> and he's on the straight and narrow. And he has been for a couple of years now. And I'm just so proud of him. <laughs> well, there you have it. Our drug war president's former drug addict son is challenging the constitutionality of his own father's drug policies. Win, lose, or draw, the attention drawn from this case alone is sure to shed more light on the ongoing showdown between the DOJ and and lawful cannabis consumers who face public persecution from their own government wanting to have its cake and eat it too. Only in America. This whole thing is wild, but I am here for it, and I got all kinds of popcorn ready. I'm Rico Lamit, Dope is that on the street, and I'd love to hear what the rest of the team has to say on this one for Hyatt 9 News. Man, Hunter Biden is just like the gift that keeps on giving. 
<laughs> I mean, he's about to give cannabis, uh, cannabis, uh, cannabis consumers their 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 rights back that the federal government's trying to strip away. This guy's a patriot, man. Shout out to, man, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but shout out to Hunter Biden. Wow. So, Jason, are you going to start heading up the Hunter Biden fan club now? That's, no, I'm not. I'm not but I'm down, I am down to put some money towards this legal defense. Nice. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> Hunter Biden, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love this story. This is this is fantastic. What do you think? Of course you do. <laughs> I want to hear what Gretchen has to say about this. Gretchen's been gone. We've missed her for over a week now. And now she's back. What, what do you think, Gretchen? Uh, I, I think it's creative thinking on his attorney's part. I think they should absolutely pursue it. And I think Biden will stay out of it. I don't think he will get into it. I don't think he's going to comment on how his administration, uh, their policy on this right now. And he's going to leave it up to the courts to deal with, frankly. You think that's uh, going to happen? Because he has a track record of doing that, right? Who's of not Joe? interfering. Yeah, he has a track record of not interfering, right? What do you want the man to do? Be like, yes, Hunter's right. Strike down this law. All cannabis is legal. Let's do this. Yeah. You think that's going to happen, Jason? Back? Not a chance in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the conundrum that he is. He just keeps in, you know, stepping in piles of, you know, <laughs> you know, dog, dog excrement. That's what happens when you have some, you know, colorful children. So <laughs> really, that's the word. And then, you, and then you become, and then you become president. What are you gonna do? What, what do you like, Roger Clint? You can't shoot him. You can't get rid of him. <laughs> what do you mean colorful? What do you mean colorful? Colorful children? <laughs> you, you ain't talking about Angelina Jolie or Madonna here. So. <laughs> I'm sure Hunter Biden would have partied with him back in the day if he was invited. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. really good crack spread over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> the crack charcuterie board over there. <laughs> well, and just because one court made a ruling, I don't, I don't believe that's going to be enough basis for them to throw out these charges against Hunter. I, you know, I, I'm just like, yo, like this is crack. We're talking about they crack versus weed here, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I crazy. understand, like, I don't know, man, but if it happens and it, it turns out that the DOJ um, is exposed on this for, you know, like wasting our tax dollars and trying to come after uh, the, the lawful on a state level weed consumers, um, I'm all for it. But I, I don't think that he's he's going to win his argument that uh, that weed is on the same level of, uh, um, as crack. However, yeah, it's also going to bring under scrutiny the fact that weed is scheduled higher than crack. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of levels to this thing. And um, and, and hopefully this is. Yeah. Right. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and hopefully it'll bring uh, um, a, a public scrutiny um, on a broader level to what's going on in our industry against the Department of Justice, like the state's. Um, state's argument versus the federal argument which is um we're not really going to do anything about it this is not federally legal but you guys can go ahead and do it if you want to but um your rights from a pr perspective and i asked mandy this because she's in the same boat as me would you want cannabis put into the same conversation as crack cocaine not even close not i mean only from the standpoint of the differentiation factors that's it that, that, that's the I only. Mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. I'm I'm fine with that. 
I mean, they're they're going to lump it all together anyway. I mean, you have you have them already trying to to. I think that's lies. a terrible It's not idea. a reasonable thing, Jason. That's just. <laughs> I'm I know you're fine here. with it, but you, when you got lawmakers who still call cannabis What's a gateway drug, now you lump it in with crap. I think that's gonna be it, bad. What is best for the I mean, uh, it, it's it's okay though because Hunter Biden's the one that lumped it all together. That's yeah. okay. Because he had a lump in his, in his yeah, yeah, because they they don't lump everything together because yeah, one person a makes a suggestion and they don't all jump on the bandwagon. That I'm, never happens. In I'm, surprised, I'm surprised more prohibitionists haven't jumped on the bandwagon of using the uh, the term grain crack when referring to <laughs> cannabis in any of these prohibition uh, prohibitionist campaigns. I mean, every plumber I know has a shirt that says "Crack doesn't kill." <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> you guys, uh, Reggie from um, Oakland—I forget his last name. Reggie Williams, I believe. Reggie from Oakland Hyphae hit me to something that um, was a big blind spot for me, and I think a lot of people. Which is, we really do need to involve hard drugs and and other drugs that are destroying urban and low, you know, uh, lower economic rung communities into this debate, and we need to talk about decriminalization for those substances as well, because until we address and decriminalize those substances. We're going to just have this cliff edge that a majority of, of Americans are going to be falling off of because they have no support system and those drugs are stigmatized. And while I would never advocate for the use of cocaine or other hard drugs at the same time, I think that we need to shine the light in those areas and begin education and treatment and start bringing everybody else in from the rain because I'm tired of seeing, you know, I just went to get milk today to get coffee and there's a new homeless brother on the corner of my local health food store just laying there sprawled out. You can tell he's clearly on drugs and he needs help. And the more we just stigmatize these drugs and, and put them in the closet and look the other way, the more we just walk away from treating these people that are members of our family. So, Matthew, well, you, you're advocating for every state to be like Oregon. I think that uh, all drugs should be legalized. I, I think that the I think the government should have testing and purity re uh, regulations for all drugs. I think it would lower the cost. I think it would lower crime uh, significantly. I would just make death rates. That'd make drugs a lot better. Yeah, it would. And and if we look like uh, England has a program where people who are already addicted to heroin can get actual heroin, not methadone or fentanyl or these other substances, but they get actual heroin to treat their addiction. And they have a multi-decade um, success rate of people being successfully employed and being functioning addicts. And again, while I don't propose, you know, functioning addiction as a as a as a way to succeed, it is a step on the way to reintegrating people back into society. And this is something I say all the time. A society is really should be viewed, a civilization should be viewed at, at, um, by how it treats the least among it. And if you look around America right now, we're in the toilet because we're not treating the least among us well, to say the least. And, and Nick Bradley in the chat, this is something I always talk about. You're totally right. Portugal's drug rates have drastically gone down and continue to go down, including drug usage by teens since they decriminalized again like 15, 20 years ago plus. I We've seen the same thing with teenage cannabis use. I mean, open up accessibility and suddenly the interest drops. Yep. Oh, uh, we're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Oh, that's so funny. Stretch and smoke. Vortex. Tuesdays. Let's get it. Smoky Vanilla One, Stretch and Smoke. You can follow me on Twitter at Smoky Vanilla, on Instagram, uh, Smoky Vanilla One, Stretch and Smoke, Sports Recovery by Dan and Jam, and on uh, Social Club, Stretch and Smoke. Let's go. Yay! Background in kinesiology <laughs> and bodywork massage and assisted stretching. 
Well, I'm looking amazing. So, if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get a stretch and smoke in with smoky vanilla. Let's go. Maybe they're calling because they want a stretch and smoke with That's smoky right, baby. vanilla. Yee-hee. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I really do love the climax in that one, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I go away right. for one week and it turns into smooth jazz, stretch and smoke. What the hell was that? Uh, oh that was the most romantic commercial I think we've ever had. Happy is Pride it, Month, Jason. Is uh, it is neoliberal soul. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> he is the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer known to many for smoking the best weed in the world and allegedly the man behind Hunter Biden's 2024 comeback campaign. <laughs> Jason Beck. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. Hope everyone had a great weekend. It's Monday. That's right. And I have a very, very interesting story for you guys. It's out of Gretchen's backyard. Gretchen, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this because NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association, cuts its staff to six, citing revenue downturn. One of the more prominent national marijuana trade groups, the National Cannabis <laughs> Association this week, cut its headcount by nearly half in order to save on costs and remain solvent through 2023. The organization's leadership said the situation reflects broader belt tightening belt tightening across the industry. NCIA let let uh, let go long-serving several senior staffers this week, including communications director Brittany Moore, director of government relations Michael Correa, and COO Rob Kellogg, as well as two other staffers, uh, two other support staff. Moore wrote on Facebook that her last day at NCIA will be June 14th. The cuts leave NCIA with six full-time staff. CEO Aaron Smith said in a quote, he says, we've pulled the Band-Aid off. It's not fun, but I feel confident that we're in a place where we're in the, in the black month over month going forward, and we can grow from here, Smith said somberly. This is a very difficult decision, but it had to be done for the sake of the members and the future of the organization, he says. Uh, Smith said that that at his height, NCIA employed more than 20 staff, but had been forced during the pandemic to downsize in part because the nonprofit relied heavily on in-person events and revenues alongside member donations. But he said the most recent cuts are more a reflection of broader industry headwinds than pandemic aftermath. In a quote, the general downturn in the industry, which is not really pandemic related, is affecting us just like it's affecting everyone else, Smith said. We've had members who have uh, been members for years who aren't renewing because they're doing layoffs. And how can they renew a membership if they just laid off their staff? Uh, But Smith also voiced frustration with wide sections of the U.S. marijuana industry that remain politically disengaged. He says it's important for folks in the industry to know that laws don't just change themselves. The lobbyists and people who are out there fighting 
uh, they rely on salaries to pay their mortgages and feed their families, just like any other business, Smith said. And in another quote, what frustrates me is the vast majority of licenses out there are not doing anything. They're not investing anything in changing federal law, yet they decided to invest their fortunes in an industry that is uh Con conventation or conventation to federal law, Smith said. If anyone is concerned about the state of the industry, they really need to be investing in reform, whether it's with us or any other group, he says. Smith argued that the failure of the Safe Banking Act to pass last year, one piece of legislation that NCI lobbied heavily in support of, had a financial fi- financial compound negative effect for the U.S. cannabis industry but that fighting to get such reforms through is exactly the kind of investment that businesses need to be making for their long-term future. Oh, man, NCIA cuts a whole bunch of staff. They cut Michael Correa, who is their their lead attorney, lobbyist. I mean, (laughs) what is going to happen to NCIA, you guys? This is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News. What do y'all have to say about this? I well, well, NCIA is going to go under. I don't, I don't know how to. You can't sugarcoat it. Um, I, I believe that they uh, people in this industry, no matter how low you make the price point, do not care about lobbying because they don't see the effects immediately. People don't put the money or effort into it, and that story is exactly right. You don't lobby that pays for these people's salaries. So if you don't want to do it, these people can't be up there doing it for free. Well, um, that's how it goes. Gretchen, what do you think? NCIA th- was, I believe, $1,000 for a basic membership for the entire year. I mean, and you look at other groups like USCC, I believe they started, I forget what they are. They're like 2025 or something. And NCR is seven grand a year, seventy five hundred a year. I mean, mm-hmm. NCIA was the lower edge of the of the price point if you wanted mm-hmm. to have a voice in lobbying in Washington, and local businesses just didn't care. Mm-hmm. People because they're fighting with stuff at home, they're fighting on the state level. People aren't seeing the need to push for anything on the federal level, and that's how businesses are getting screwed. And that's uh, and and it's not just all that. I mean, I I do think there could have been some better management of things with NCIA. Oh. Um, I'm just because NCIA was a big it did not change ever. It did not evolve from the day it started. It had a board of 24 people. How do you make decision changes with 24 people on your board? I mean, there are a lot of ways that NCIA, I think, could run things a bit better. Um, But getting rid of your lead uh, head lobbyist is not the answer, I would say. Uh, But he's also going to be the more higher paid one. So that's why you dump him. Mm -hmm. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Do you you think the NCAA uh, is going to be um, MCAA is going to be the de facto replacement? The who? What? uh, uh, American. Is it the. You mean USCC? USCC. I want to say MCAA. No. Uh, No, because people can't afford it. And there aren't lower price points. Uh, The next lower price point would be M for MM. I mean, but I think people look at the name of minorities for medical marijuana and think that you have to be a minority to support it or that they only care about medical marijuana. Um, and so people don't go out to support it. Their businesses start at 500 um, mm-hmm. for a membership for the year. So do you think that <laughs> cannabis lobbying, um, in effect, is dead? No. No, it's not dead no. at all. But the only lobbying you're going to get is from the big boys can, who can afford to do it. Mm-hmm. So oh, a small group needs to... to come into this. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to chime in on this because I actually served on the NCIA board for four years. 
And this is a couple of years ago, of course, but um, the board has been struggling for a very long time. And yes, was definitely significantly impacted during COVID. I was on the board during that time. Um, we saw a massive decrease in the, it, obviously, revenue because the majority of the revenue comes from NCIA's fundraise or, um, excuse me, events. And slowly but surely over the years, the attendance has gone down. I think there's a number of factors that play a role. Um, the staff at NCIA has always been really great, but I do agree that the packages for membership are very high. I also think that the industry significantly underestimates the impact that they can have just by speaking up and stepping out into the light. And, and even more simply, if you don't have the time or the physical bandwidth to do that, that's what organizations like NCIA are for. You pay a membership fee and then they get out there and do it for you. Do I think that NCIA is going to go under? Yeah. It's kind of been under the works in the works for a very long time, and it's sad. Um, but also, it's really important, just as a general rule of thumb for nonprofits as a whole, shaking up your leadership from inside is very important at, at all turns, especially when an organization starts out with a couple of hundred members and moves to tens of thousands of members, like NCIA did over the over time. You really have to be able to carry a large change like that. And sometimes that requires growth in leadership. I know um, that, I mean, I, I've always kind of viewed NCIA more as an event company because that's how they get a majority of the, of their revenue is from events. And, and it, it, it clearly stated in the article that that, that was one of the main reasons for this is that they haven't been throwing events. Um, and, and that has caused a significant revenue decrease. Well, and they had three or four events planned uh, for last year uh, that ended up getting canceled. Um, mm -hmm. So in their event company, they were not getting along with. Um, but that's my point is they needed to evolve and they never yeah. did. Yeah, mm -hmm. I totally agree with that, that statement, Gretchen, very much. So, and, and I never understood how a federal lobbying group was based in Denver. How does that work? Yeah. And then you fired the folks who are in Washington. Good plan. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Genius. Keep, keep, Genius. keep the keep the keep the team rolling in Denver because that's what's going to get it done. Mm -hmm. I I just don't understand decisions by their leadership. I don't. I I, I agree with you. I never have either, and uh, I know I've had a number of conversations with Mandy about this over the years of different decisions and whatnot. I'm like, why are they doing this? That makes absolutely no sense at all. Mm -hmm. But that's what the board voted for. Well, <laughs> well. That's right. Coming up next, that's right. We have the feisty redheaded conservative Gretchen Gailey. She's back from a week in New York where she was gallivanting on cruises and hobnobbing mm -hmm. with the political elites, all the limousine liberals out there that she could pallet. <laughs> I do bite my tongue a lot more in New York. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is the founder of Panopti Strategies, our very own little Washington insider, Gretchen Gailey. Yes, yes. Over the years, I have perfected the smile and nod. I know how to do it well for this you, Did you get that from your training in the South? No. Bless their heart. Bless your heart. No, New Yorkers, just they're a whole different breed. They're interesting, though. Love them. Love them to death. Uh, but my headline today is from Marijuana Moment, and it's going out to Colorado. I think maybe I'm just, I don't know, overly optimistic. I think this could be a game changer and helpful uh, to many in this industry. 
Colorado governor signs bill to allow online marijuana sales. The governor of Colorado has signed a bill into law that would allow online marijuana sales. After a month after the measure from representatives William Lindsteld, uh, Saeed Charbini, and Robert Rodriguez cleared the legislature, Governor Jared Polis gave it final approval on Thursday. It strikes language from existing statute that explicitly prohibits cannabis from being sold on the Internet, while adding regulations to provide for online commerce. Adults 21 and older will still need to physically pick up the marijuana products from the retailer, but they can browse and electronically purchase cannabis online ahead of visiting the store. The bill pull a sign says the retailers will be required to verify the name and age of the customer at the time of the online purchase, and that information will have to match identification that they provide when they come to pick up the products. Further, the retailer will have to provide shoppers with digital versions of all warning or educational materials that the retail marijuana store is required to post and provide on its licensed premises. The customer will have to acknowledge receipt of those materials before finishing their purchase. What the bill mainly aims to do, from my perspective, is reduce cash in the marijuana space, which is something that is exceedingly important to do because when there is a tremendous amount of cash in the industry, it can lead to some troubling outcomes, specifically things like robbery. Uh, said Senator Kevin Van Winkle uh, on the floor last month. It sets them up for a tremendous amount of potential theft and other things. State lawmakers are also hoping that Congress will further resolve the marijuana industry's unique financial and public safety issues by passing the Bipartisan Safe Banking Act this session. Polis has signed a number of drug policy reform bills in recent weeks. For example, he also recently approved legislation that will bolster marijuana-related protections for working professionals in the state, effectively codifying an executive order he issued last year. And he signed a bill last week to create a regulatory framework for legal psychedelics under a voter-approved initiative. Uh, I don't own a business uh, that would deal specifically, I'm not a dispensary or anything of that sort, but I would think that online sales would be extremely helpful to folks um, and bring people out to their stores if you can... uh, easily purchase online and then just go pick it up. I think this will be great for Colorado um, and for the legal market. This Gretchen for Hide 9 News. I'm shocked that this wasn't already happening there because it's happening in California. Didn't they have things like this in place during COVID or no? Yeah, but you could always, I mean, curbside is definitely became very dominant at the storefronts during COVID, but it still lives on. It didn't go away after COVID. And delivery services are all online. You go on their website, you place your order, they bring it to your front door. Right, Mm -hmm. but Colorado, they didn't have delivery, did they? I don't think they did. Yes, Colorado had delivery. When? I don't think they did. They don't have, no, they don't. No, because how could you order it online if if they didn't have delivery? You can order online, but you you can go pick up. Yeah, Uh, you pick it up and you pay. You can still order online. Yeah, back when I was at Baker, we were the first to do that when we were based in Colorado. Um, Nicole yeah, Sebelia is saying they do have delivery yeah. in Colorado. Told you. Guess Don't it was give me right, this right cold, there. you Jason Beck. Like, for right. once, you have something yes. on top of me. Like, for right. once, you've got something right. Yes. Whoa. Right. That shit's about to knock you out, bro. <laughs> Please. Uh, but so, again, Nicole makes a point. This isn't about delivery. Yeah, so, so, so what I'm wondering Nicole, here. I'm sorry. Yeah, what I'm wondering here is this. Are they opening it up to like, like credit cards within this day? Like, or, or are they That's doing what I'm wondering like, how this works. Like the consumer? Yeah. Like, like, there's there got to be like more details on this because they've had express pickup for years. Yeah, it didn't well, make sense to me either. Is it like, like that's what I was thinking. Is it a transaction? Like now they can do credit? I don't, I don't know. I'll tell you this much. I mean, uh, Colorado was the first place I ever saw anyone selling weed on Craigslist. 
Well, Nicole is saying no credit cards. Here we go. The bill's allowing for this because it was from COVID emergency rules. So now they're just making it. Oh, they're just making it a permanent rule. Yeah, they're just making it a permanent rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got Dutchie well, nothing pain. wrong with permanent rules. That's how things evolve. This this story is a big nothing burger. Gretchen. Yeah, big oh, nothing sandwich. <laughs> it, it would be something if they decided to take it back all of a sudden, then people would be all up in arms. But the fact that they're making it permanent, that's a good thing. Yep. It means progress, Rico. Progress. You love progress. There's no progress without process. Okay. Well, I think it's probably pro- process. You know, processing the transactions, Rico. Amen. <laughs> Hey, hey man, uh, process, I don't care. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Leave me alone. I've been out of it for a week. I thought Fine. it was cool. Welcome back. I thought it was good. Welcome back, Gretchen. Happy federal back. gingerbread yeah. day. Yeah. Stick, stick it. Stick it, people. Stick it. Oh, man. We're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. Oh, yeah. Whatever you're doing, make sure you hit that subscribe button and make sure you hit that like button if you haven't already. That's right. Also, too, while you're at it, go ahead and check out our website, www.hyatt9.com. Make sure you check out our merch and also make sure you sign up for our newsletter. And I think we got our technical difficulties fixed because you will receive an email in your inbox to confirm your subscription. So make sure you hit that before you'll end up receiving anything in your inbox that's right and also too, make sure you support our super chats because if we really want us to care about what you're saying in the chat you should make it a super chat control tower from highly educated has perfected the dab utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation you can waste none of it and taste all of it the micro texture of the se pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures and with the tower propelling at 2600 rpms it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date the control tower from highly educated This well-known industry expert and dedicated Mary Mama is a Northern California-based edible Emerald Cup edibles judge known in certain circles as Carmen Sacramento for her never-ending international quest to find the world's greatest cannabis and psychedelic edible experiences. Coming to the stage is Mandy Tingler. You're on mute, mute, Mandy. I was being so good with the mute button today and look at me. (laughs) All right, here we go. Today's article headline reads, frequent marijuana users tend to be leaner and less likely to develop diabetes, but the pseudo health benefits come at a price, experts say. The stereotypical cannabis connoisseur perpetually has the munchies, but is paradoxically 
perplexingly thin. Now researchers at the University of California, Irvine, think they know why. And no, pot consumption isn't the secret to a slim figure. It, not a healthy one, anyway. The stereotypical cannabis connoisseur perpetually has the munchies, but is paradoxically, <laughs> so many P words, perplex perplexingly thin. Now researchers at the University of California, Irvine, have understand why. Frequent cannabis consumers are leaner and less likely to develop the type 2 diabetes. Many cannabis consumers begin use during their teenage years, realizing this, researchers indicated that low doses of THC, the main psychoactive component of marijuana, to adolescent, they gave this to adolescent mice. Once the mice were fully grown, they stopped the doses, but the damage was done, according to researchers. Drug-free male rice, uh, male mice that had consumed THC as teens had reduced fat mass, increased lean mass, had higher than average body temperatures, and were part, excuse me, partially resistant to both obesity and hyperglycemia. They were in what researchers referred to as a pseudo-lean state, but they also had a reduced ability to use fuel from fat stores, a consequence that can interfere with tasks like moving and thinking, and especially sustaining attentions re attention researchers found. Similar features are seen in some humans who are frequent cannabis users, they remarked. All too often, we think of cannabis as only a psychoactive drug, says Daniel Pomelli, one of the study's authors and the director for the university's Center for the Study of Cannabis and professor in its School of Medicine, Department of Anatomy and Neurobiology. But its effects extend well beyond the brain, he says. The reason for these permanent changes surprised the study's authors. One exposed to THC, or excuse me, once exposed to THC, fat in the mice Stores began making proteins normally found only in the muscle and the heart. Meanwhile, their muscle cells began making fewer of the proteins that they should. The effort required of fat cells to make these, quote, alien proteins interferes with correct, healthy functioning of fat cells and their ability to store and release nutrients, researchers concluded. I can't even talk today. It's well established that cannabis consumption is linked to lower BMI and improved cardiometabolic risk, the authors write. But their findings point to the ability of the drug to permanently disrupt organ function with, quote, potentially far-reaching consequences on physical and mental health, Pamelli said. Adolescent exposure to THC may promote an enduring pseudo-lean state that superficially resembles healthy leanness, but might in fact be rooted in organ dysfunction, the authors wrote. The same changes aren't thought to occur in cannabis users who begin during adulthood, they added. The study found that THC use in adolescent mice resulted in reduced weight gain in both males and females, but the study only focused on metabolic and molecular effects in males. The authors wrote that noting that similar studies should be conducted on females. Similarly, further studies should look at other organ systems for potential THC-driven changes, they added. Now, you guys... This is very interesting because we're talking a lot about the impact of cannabis use on the adolescent body and brain versus adults. And these mice are telling us an awful lot. Now, what do you think about this? This is Mandy at High at Nine.
Ever since I started smoking weed, I never gained another pound. Listen, my <laughs> cannabis intake went way high since COVID, and I have I've stayed steady, like really steady. That's crazy. I don't know. I gained all my weight during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's because you were smoking the best. It's That's super hard. interesting, though, you guys. Like, think about, <laughs> think about, like, I mean, I know we're talking about mice or rats or whatever it was, but um, this is really interesting to look at long-term effects-wise and thinking about, you know, I have a teenage, I have a teenager who is, is beginning to cannabis and it's really interesting in me, for me to watch what's happening to his body and his behavior and his, his thought process and just seeing how it's impacting his navigation of the world. Um, you know, when you're doing it as a teenager yourself, it's hard to have that kind of insight and reflection. But watching yeah. somebody else go through that is its own little experiment in and of itself. I mean, I don't really, we don't have any doctors on board with us today. But I wonder if it's um, a lot of uh, cannabis's uh, inherent properties, you know, anti-inflammatory properties, um, the way that it offsets a lot of things that are tied to diabetes. Um, it helps me with my gout um, as well. Like a lot of the things that will, you know, uh, so to speak, blow you up. You know, if you're not smoking, if you're not consuming uh, uh, cannabis, they are there to counteract. I, I, you know what, Rico, it's interesting you you, said you put it in that way because I wonder if this is just um, better brain functionality that is allowing the body to actually do more of what it does, which well, also could be a yeah. homeostasis, right? Yeah. Haven't they talked about it before that THCV is good for weight loss and such? And metabolism, yeah. It's good for metabolism. It keeps the hunger pains at bay and also like you definitely feel more focused, at least I do when I use THCV. Um, but there, you know, isn't enough research, obviously, to definitively state that it's an appetite suppressant. But it is thought to be the cannabinoid that does help with that. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. I mean, again, I think I think it's coming from the brain, and the brain is just working better and making your body working better. Rico thinks. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just surprised that, um, you know, the street cats haven't got up on that OG Zempic yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, stay tuned. I may, have it, I may have an announcement for you in a week or so. Oh, snap. Oh, is that what kind of announcement you got coming up, Gretchen? Ooh. Um, THC and, and is all over Ozempic. Yeah, got the, the Ozempic. Yeah, we'll plus see. THC. We'll see. We'll see. I see that. Ooh, ooh. They found a new compound in cannabis called GG. Yeah. Yeah. THCGG. <laughs> I, I thought wish. you were stretching with Gretchen before. Stretching with Gretchen. We're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Thank you so much for that, Mandy. Yes. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Oh, yeah, that's right. Coming up next, we have the birthday boy. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's his birthday. He claims he's 51, but we all know the truth. 
He's literally 51,000 years old today. That's right. It is the immortal count himself, Matthew St. Germain. Thank you so much, Brother Jason. Happy Monday, everybody. Thanks for the birthday love to everybody on the chat and elsewhere. And uh, remember to get your Hyatt 9 merch. Dude, look at these new hats they got, dude. We guarantee yours will do this as well. This is not Hollywood magic. This is the actual hat. Rico, show them. It will do that if you go to Matthew St. Germain studio. Yeah, it only takes four <laughs> hits of LSD, you guys. And then your hat can do this, too. So I have a really cool story that uh, kind of links in with Mandy's story. Uh, Chinese researchers did a study, uh, a correlational study, and showed that they, they think pot use is linked with lower risk of liver disease. And this is interesting because we were talking about THC and fat metabolism, and the liver does all kinds of things with fat. Um, so consuming alcohol is a well-known cause of liver damage, but the opposite may hold true for smoking pot. This is the takeaway of new research published late last month in PLOS1. After examining a nationally representative sample of Americans, the researchers said they found that current marijuana use is inversely associated with steatosis, or a condition that arises from too much fat in the liver. The pathophysiology is unclear and needs further study. Pardon me one sec. Ooh. Coffee. No significant association was established between marijuana use and liver fibrosis, irrespective of past or current use, they wrote. The study, conducted by a group of Chinese researchers, aimed to assess the association between marijuana use and liver steatosis and fibrosis in the general United States population, utilizing data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. This study was performed with data from 2017 and 2018 cycle of the NHANES. The target population comprised adults in the database with reliable vibration-controlled transient elastic Elasto elastography. There we go. I got it out. The authors of the study wrote in their explanation of the methods. The medium values of the controlled attenuation parameter and liver stiffness measurement were used to evaluate both liver steatosis and fibrosis, respectively. After adjusting for relevant co-founders, a logistic regression analysis was used to assess the association between marijuana use and liver steatosis and fibrosis. So they're, they're just trying to find if there's uh, abnormal fibroids or excess fat in people's livers, basically. They, the analyzed uh, research pool was 2,622 participants. Um, also known as fatty liver disease, steatosis affects one in three adults and one in ten children in the United States currently, according to the Cleveland Clinic. There is no medication specifically for fatty liver disease. Instead, doctors focus on helping you manage factors that contribute to the condition, such as eating healthy and exercising. They also recommend making lifestyle changes. Despite intriguing findings of the study, the Chinese researchers urged some caution. The present study, they said, has several limitations. First, it was an observational study. No casual inference can be made, and correlations should currently only be interpreted as associations. Second, marijuana use was based on self-reporting, and so it could be skewed in, in some ways, either higher or lower. And they say these reports may introduce a bias towards the null hypothesis for the result, uh, third, physical activity and diet were not included in the analyses, which is a big problem with a lot of these correlational analyses. Furthermore, due to the limitations of the database, they could not rule out biliary cirrhosis and primary liver disease, such as Wilson's disease, and or the use of certain medications. Also, they could not evaluate the type of marijuana and the dose-response correlation between marijuana use versus the presence of liver steatosis and or fibrosis. They added... In conclusion, we found that current marijuana use is inversely associated with liver steatosis. Further studies are definitely required to confirm these results longitudinally, and investigations into marijuana compounds and their biological effects are promising 
for treating and preventing fatty liver disease. Uh, this is Matthew St. Germain on a birthday Monday for the Hyatt 9 News. Jump on in here, guys. What do you all think? Oh, man, this is all about the crossfade for the win right here, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> Basically saying that it, it's, cannabis is going to reverse all the damage that alcohol does to your liver if you consume them at the same rate, right? <laughs> Every last bit of that damage to your liver. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I heard. I think further studies are needed to uh, to assess I the validity of so. your thesis. Jason. That's why we usually have yeah. doctors on with us. But sure it is interesting that we've known that one of the one of the reasons uh, you can test dirty for so long for thirty days or more after using cannabis is because THC is stored in your fat cells. And so what we're seeing maybe with people being leaner as well as positive effects on the liver, there is something to this THC interacting with our system of storing and using fat. Mm. Well. No. And and back to that other story, it's it's really interesting. They say that people have used a bit in their teen years have a higher overall body temperature because I I seem to run hotter than most people that I uh, encounter. I, I know I do. I'm a natural born hot boy though. Sizzling <laughs> hot steaming coming through. The time is hot beaming. Oh yeah, I like this story, man. I'm excited. My my liver is happy right now. Well, I think the other thing that we'll eventually start to see is that when people. Uh, contact cannabis and begin to use cannabis it tends to open their mind up to healthier living in general and they tend to be uh exposed to communities that uh, eat healthier are more into exercise and there's there's always you know outliers on every side but what i'd say is i, I see people who interact with cannabis usually do less hard drugs drink alcohol a bit less and tend to look for more interaction with nature which includes hiking and these exercise methodologies that are going to get you more fit mm -hmm. and so it seems that uh, cannabis like the rastas always say is the healing of the nations and Maybe the gateway drug to a lot of better things coming down the pipeline for human beings. Maybe um, when uh, a big tobacco takes uh, does their full uh, full time jack move <laughs> on the industry, <laughs> they can put a second Surgeon Gen uh, General's warning on there, negating everything that they put on the first one. <laughs> I think so much to be said in this story to big alcohol, where they should be lobbying for cannabis since the cannabis industry isn't lobbying for itself. They should, man. You know, big alcohol is in the game, too. We had that, that, that big story we talked about on Friday. They should be putting this on all of their bottles. Yeah. I, know I've, I know I've seen a number of different alcohol companies, uh, lobbyists, uh, in a number of different cannabis uh, working groups over the years. So they are definitely there. Thought we were good before. Hold my beer. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> be right back. Oh, <laughs> <Another boy. study. laughs> I think that was a good one. I, thought, I think that was a good one, man. And um, you know, big ups to cannabis that continues to heal yep. the masses. Hallelujah. No matter what. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna hop into my uh unless anyone else has anything on this one, I'm gonna hop into my uh my last story for you guys. Yeah. This is a this is a good one for you guys, Gretchen. This is just for you because you're back. Okay. Hope you're ready. A slow Can't start. Wait. New York's legal pot market leaves farmers holding the bag. Oh. <laughs> mm. Seth Jacobs has about 100 bins packed with marijuana flour sitting in a storage at his upstate New York farm. And that's a problem. There aren't enough places to sell it. The 700 pounds, which is basically 318 kilograms of pungent, hold on, get this, guys, of pungent flour was harvested last year as part of New York's first crop of legally grown pot for adult use. 
Oh my goodness. I can't even believe they could put all those words together in a sentence. Oh <laughs> man. He also he, he he also has roughly 220 pounds, basically 100 kilograms of distillate. Months later, there are only a dozen licensed dispensaries statewide to sell what Jacobs has more than two and 200 other farmers produced. Now another growing re uh, season is underway and farmers still sitting on much of last year's harvest are in a financial bind. In a quote, we are really under the gun here. We're, we're all losing money, Jacobs recently said at his farm on rolling land near the Vermont border. He says, even the most entrepreneurial and ambitious amongst us just can't move much product in this environment, he says. New York pot farmers aren't the only ones struggling with difficult economic conditions. Marijuana growers in western states have also complained that low prices, uh, tough competition from the illicit market, high, high state taxes and federal banking and exporting restrictions have made it tough for legal growers to make money. But the farmer's plight in New York is directly tied to the bumpy launch of the state's adult-use cannabis market. State leaders had always planned to gear up the market in stages, giving a chance for the diverse set of participants to get a toehold. Oh, man, you can't grip anything with your toes, you guys. The state's process for licensing new dispensaries, however, has moved at a far slower pace than expected. I would call it a snail's pace. If even that last fall, Governor Kathy Hochul foresaw 20 new stores opening every month or so to start to start this year. Instead, one store is opened by the start of the year with 11 more open since. That's right, Gretchen, only a dozen, they're saying. Unlicensed shops rushed into the field, uh, uh, rushed in to fill the void, especially in New York City. But the, those outlets aren't a legal market for the state's farmers. Federal law prohibits the New York farmers from transporting their crop across state lines. And that means limited shelf space to sell the 300,000 pounds or basically 136,000 kilos of cannabis grown in the state last year. Much of the product meant to be processed for items like gummies and vapes. And statewide, there's an esti estimated to be hundreds of millions of dollars worth of unsold cannabis, about 80% in the form of cannabis oil, according to the Cannabis Association of New York, a trade group. And there are concerns the smokable flour will eventually become too old to sell get out of here i would have never guessed that cannabis gets old jeez jacobs keeps his bins of buds at at slack hollow organics in secure temperature controlled units more valuable still is the distillate at various processors he's waiting to sell and elsewhere in the rural new york bought Brittany co carbone co-founder of tricola farms said the stock they're sitting on includes 1,500 packs of pre-roll joints and about 2,000 packs of edibles. In a quote, what we really need to see is more retailers get open, and that's going to actually give us the sustainable so solution, Carbone said. The lack of sales is a particular problem for small farmers who stretched themselves thin financially to produce last year's crop and now need capital for this year's second year. Jacobs, whose brand is Bud and Borrow, said he won't he won't grow plants for distillate this year because of the backlog and carbone said they are plant they're planning on less than an acre they're legally allowed and are holding off on infrastructure investments like hoop houses to help with the growing 
And, oh, man, it sounds like they're going to have a whole, whole, whole bunch of problems. And this article just goes on and on and on and on. You can read, read more all about it on our website, news. But what do you think? And Gretchen, you just came back from New York. What do you think about all these poor farmers that grow all this boof weed and now they can't sell it and are complaining about it? Well, number one, Jason Beck, I've met a number of these (laughs) wonderful cultivators, and I would not call what they are doing boof weed. Uh, They are trying to get a market up and running. And I don't normally give you all a little flash during the show, but I will today. See, we got, we got, we New York. Oh, Uh, 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 shirt. Oh, my. (laughs) <laughs> These guys are trying. They're trying. And frankly, the number one or I would say number two topic at our conference this past week after um, kind of the failure of the card program and DASNY and all that good stuff was the supply chain, that the supply chain in New York is just not what they want it to be. Uh, that is why I believe it was a week or two ago they announced their farmers markets where they're going to try and get cannabis out to folks. <laughs> I know you consider it a joke. Jason Beck. You consider much in the in the in the world a joke. However, um, they're trying. Frankly, Um, I I don't know what to tell you. These guys are trying to get something up and running. New York is truly a social experiment by putting socialist experiment. Uh No, a social experiment trying to put equity applicants first. They're the only market trying to do this, and that has definitely put a hurt on what they're trying to do to open things. Um, yes, they only have about a dozen shops open. I believe it's uh, five in Manhattan and seven across the rest of the state uh, that are open. They say they have 40 in development, 70 other that have approved locations. Um, I'm hopeful that more will get open before the end of the year. I would say if I had to put money on it, bet money that Jason Beck won't pay out, I would say you'll see another 20 shops open before the end of the year. That's before what I the guess. end of the year. We'll see. We'll see and that. I know that's not a ton, oh. but I mean... I, I, I think they're the, having a lot of trouble there. Yeah, I, I think the real story that they're, they're not going to say publicly here is they can't really compete with the fantastic California weed that's flooding the street yeah. <laughs> in, in, in New York. They have, they have year old New York weed is not going to be able to compete sure. with that, that fresh overnight goodness that you're going to get at the bodega. One point that has not been made because nobody wants to make this point, but what the hey, I've got nothing to lose um, is. <laughs> One thing that this experiment has proven in New York is that if it's the illicit market or the legal market, doesn't matter. They have started to program New Yorkers to be willing to go into shops to purchase their cannabis. And that is something they have not done before. And that is a huge hurdle to get people out of the illicit market for when they get this all up and running. I went into a couple of of these pop-up shops and there is nothing pop-up about them. I mean neon signs everywhere like these are built out they are nice they look like any regular old dispensary you would walk into um and people are knowledgeable and very nice when you went into those shops did you happen to ask them if they had any intentions of becoming a legal shop at some point did you ask any questions i i did not ask that question uh but i did hear from a number of folks that they will go from it for it at some point the shops that i walked into no i did not ask that question okay I I really don't see much incentive for them to do the the, the, the people that all have like nice shops out there in New York and whatnot. They're they're all under the context of that. There's so many of them that New York ain't going to ever be able to close them down. And so they might as well just issue them a license and allow them to be legal. Well, the current discussion to help shut these places down is going after the landlords. And we're not talking small fines. They're talking about taking buildings away from people. Yeah, right. That really happens. 
then I could see. Don't give me that face, Rico. We're not going to be able to do that. Would you prefer that they go after the folks who are opening up the shops? I mean, this is their way of not raging a drug war 3.0 is after the landlords. And I, if you start taking buildings away, people the are going to stop doing that. At, at the policy, the face was like, like they're, I don't think they're going to. They're going to do. Uh, it. I don't think they have the balls. I, I, Gretchen, I, I think you underestimate the balls of Eric Adams. I do. Gretchen, landlords are people. Oh, 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 what are you talking about there? Would you know something <laughs> more than I do? I know oh, a lot God. more than y'all give me credit for knowing. Heft <laughs> of Eric Adams' balls. I said landlords are people too. Yeah. Okay. So are corporations, Jason Beck. See? <laughs> I mean, you, you worked with the man. You helped. You helped work on that messaging. Oh, oh, man. Oh, I am. I am. I am. <laughs> and mitten, mittens is stretching. So <laughs> we're at the top of the hour, everybody. Thank you all for joining us for today's episode of High at Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love and getting their comments projected live on the big screen. Also to the live audience members, online supporters, catching us across all media platforms, tuning in and giving us the feedback on the daily headlines of chaos known as the developing cannabis industry to our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over the globe bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table our production team cloud media partners house of fuego the vortex 91 club all of our sponsors helping us keep the lights on and keeping our av struggles to a minimum and of course the lovely jaja simone holding things down every single day over in clubhouse and to the haters I hope y'all bite your lip today and it splits open right in the middle and it doesn't heal at least until Wednesday. So you got to awkwardly explain to folks all week why you got a scab in the middle of your lip. And swear it ain't. Yeah, I swear it ain't herpes, baby. I swear it ain't. <laughs> and always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason the Hyatt 9 News team shows up and reads these headlines every single day. It is Monday, June 5th, 2023. The show's over. You've all been blessed with today's industry hop, top headlines. Hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. I'm Rico Lamy, the dopest dad on the street, and I'd like to give it to Gretchen Gailey today for the outro. What you got for these good people? Coming back like you left something. One of the things that I did at my booth in New York was I gave out my why write your representative postcards i know it's boring i know it sucks however it works people you have to lobby and if you can't afford a stamp you can go to my website we have the letters already prepared click a link and we will send that letter for you to your lawmaker it's easy peasy yes gretchen we're on Hell it yeah look at that panopticstrategies.com <laughs>